0: Amen. Y'all could be seated. Hey, this morning, as we start, I want you to picture your mind as a drawer in a filing cabinet. And I want to put three folders in that drawer right now where this sermon will fit into three points. Uh, the first folder is called Rebuke. As we go through this text in Mark 16, 9 through 20, we're going to talk about a rebuke. The second folder, I want you to call Reinstatement. And a third one I want you to call resurrection power rebuke reinstatement resurrection power. But as we prepare for the rebuke folder in this passage I got to share that I've been thinking about a biblical verse Luke 12:48 to whom much was given of him much will be required. With much privilege often comes much responsibility. I've been thinking about this as Jaden prepares for his driver's permit. He's studying all that online stuff, learning all the rules of the road. And I remember when I was 15 years old, thinking about all the privilege and the freedom of being able to drive where I wanna go. And I know that's big on his heart right now. But I also know as you study all those rules, that privilege comes with a responsibility. You learn those rules, you're responsible to keep them. I learned that the hard way when I first started driving. Some of you have heard the story, so I won't share the whole thing. But long story short, I ended up on the wrong side of a double yellow line at an intersection right across where a police officer was sitting. He pointed to the nearby parking lot. My brother jumped in the back seat, and I got my first ticket. Because I knew I was not supposed to be on that side of the double yellow line. With, with the privilege of driving comes responsibility. Too much is given. Of him much will be required. I think about that idea as I enter this first section in Mark 16:9. We're going to talk about rebuke. And as we go, I want you to see if you notice a thread here. A, a common theme. Okay. Mark 16, verse 9. When he, arose, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Can you imagine how grateful she was to her Lord and Savior after all she had been through? But she went and told those, verse 10, who had been with him as they mourned and, and wept, his disciples, right? But when they heard That he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. Luke tells us these are the two on the road to where? Emmaus. Yeah. He appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. What's, what's the thread? Unbelief. Unbelief. And that's what led to the rebuke from Jesus, right? To whom much was given of him, much will be required. When you focus on at least the 11, because Judas is gone at this point, right? Think of the privileges they had experienced in the previous three years or so. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They had heard lesson after lesson from his lips. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle with their own eyes. Okay, and they'd even heard him predict, not just once, but several times, that after he suffered and died, he would rise again. To much is given, much is required. That led to the rebuke of Jesus in this passage. Now I think about us. Same idea applies. To whom much is given, much is required. Right away, though, Some of us may be saying, hold on, hold on. Yeah, but not like them. You know, (laughs) we we weren't there for those three years when he was physically on the earth. We didn't hear those lessons. We didn't see those miracles. So what much have we been given to whom much is required? I could could spend a whole series for... (laughs) A year or more on that, I'm going to share one thing we have that they did not have in their hands at this point. We have the entire word of God between two covers at our disposal. To whom much is given, much is required. The word. 1 Peter one twenty three. Peter says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. Second Peter 1.19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. James, the kind of guy who just gets right to the point, <laughs> James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We have a great privilege and we have a a great responsibility. As we think about his rebuke to his disciples here, I want to ask us a question. Are we walking in faith in the revealed word of God this morning? In our lives? Or is there any rebuke to be received for our own neglect or unbelief? Sometimes worship involves conviction, life change. If that's what God's doing in our hearts right now, let's invite him to do that. I want to move from rebuke, thank goodness, to reinstatement. Reinstatement. Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, before we get to the main point of reinstatement here, I want to deal with a theological issue. When you read verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Some have asked the question, well, hold on. Do I have to be baptized in water in order to be saved? Because you're thinking Ephesians 2, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. That any man should boast, right? That's not what it means here. How do we know that? Because look at the second phrase. It says, whoever does not believe will be condemned. He does not say, whoever does not believe and is baptized will be condemned. It's the belief, it's the faith, the trust in Jesus Christ. His grace that, that saves. Why baptism in the first line? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Because in the first century... They knew and they knew well that baptism was a command of the Lord for his followers. And it was expected of all who came to believe in Jesus that they would go on and proclaim that faith publicly in baptism. So I would challenge you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not yet taken that step to ponder that, put yourself in the first century and realize that was to be a package deal. Why haven't I not taken that step? But it's the faith it's the faith that saves. Now back to the main point here, the reinstatement. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we focused in on Peter a lot because of his three denials, right? How gracious it was that, that Jesus reached out to him, reinstated him. But it wasn't just him that was dealing with unbelief. Where were all these guys when Jesus died? Were they anticipating in faith their, their reuniting with him after he rose from the dead? No, they were all living in the same unbelief, hiding behind a locked door, mourning and weeping. So I think about that, and I think likely you and I, if we had been in their shoes, would have been the same place. And, and how easy it would have been for Jesus to come back and say, guys... You saw so much. You heard so much. And, and yet here you've been living in unbelief and mourning. Even after I told you what was going to happen, it's time for me to pick a new crew. <laughs> How easy and justified that would have been. <laughs> Thank goodness our gracious God did not. He reinstated them and said, I've got a job for you. I've got a job for you. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Matthew 28, when he shares the Great Commission, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I think about that word go there. We have abused that word sometimes when we think of going to share the gospel, we have shrunk it down, we have limited that word. We think of going as something we do once or twice a year, perhaps on a short-term missions trip to Mexico or somewhere further. That's when I go and proclaim the gospel. The rest of the time, I'm back to to my life and and my priorities. Is that what the word go here means? No, and sometimes we, we wrestle long and hard about where do I go? Where do I go? And it's important to pray and seek the Lord's leading. But sometimes... We overcomplicate it. You know why I say that? When he says in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, do you know that the go is actually a participle? It is as you go. As you go, make disciples. Now that changes everything, right? As you go means anytime you're going anywhere, any place, this needs to be on our hearts and on our minds. As you go to to lunch this afternoon, And you see that waitress. You need to to have the gospel on your heart and mind, praying, looking for opportunities to plant seeds. As you go to work, as you go into your neighborhood, into parties with friends, as you go, make disciples. As you go, proclaim the gospel. I got a call this week on Friday, and I won't share the whole story because he's going to share it in detail in a week or two up here. I got a call on Friday from someone in this church who was so excited. He, he said, I, I was 45 minutes late leaving for work because a couple, a couple people there had some questions about Jesus. You really believe he's the son of God, they asked our friend from the church. Do you really believe he loves me? And, and he said, long story short, one of these two people accepted Jesus Christ as their savior before I left. And it had just happened, and he couldn't wait to call me and tell me. It was as he was going. He didn't wake up Friday morning saying, I'm on a missions trip today. He was going to work. But as he went, he realized life is mission and seized that opportunity as you go. Let me ask, as we think about God's gracious reinstatement, have we been proclaiming the gospel as we go, as we go, Or, or have we been neglecting the call? If so, are you ready to pick that torch back up? Maybe there's some guilt here, and you say, I'm not worthy to pick that torch up. Well, that's what reinstatement in the grace of God is all about. Think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. and Do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. I love what he said in 1 Timothy 1.16. He speaks of the perfect patience of our Lord to him as an example to all who would believe. Perfect patience of our Lord. So we've talked about the rebuke. We've talked about the reinstatement. I want to come around to talking about resurrection power. Resurrection power in our risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. We see this a number of places, one being Acts chapter 8. Verse 6, as the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. They will speak in new tongues. Let me take you to one place, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, right? And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands. Acts chapter 28, Paul is on the island of Malta on mission, on a journey. It's cold. They want to build a fire. Acts 28.3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out. Because of the heat and fastened on his hand When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand They said to one another No doubt this man is a murderer Though he has escaped from the sea Justice has not allowed him to live Verse 5 He however shook off the creature into the fire And suffered no harm And just to show how fickle people are, I love this verse, verse 6. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But then when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) He went from murderer to god in their eyes, just like that. But back to Mark 16. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. There are no biblical instances of this that we know of, but that does not mean it has never happened. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Acts 28.8. Paul again. As the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Back in Mark. It speaks of his ascension, where he sits next to the father. Verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I want to talk about signs for a minute. We'll talk about signs. There are three ways that Christians disagree about signs. We're going to walk through those first, and then I'm going to talk about five things we can all agree on. Okay? Three ways Christians disagree, five things we can all agree on first group of Christians, and and there may may be other categories, but I'm just going to do three. It's called the cessationist. The cessationist, the root word cease or, or stop. The cessationist believes that many, if not all, these signs were only for a season to confirm the truth of the gospel. But now that we have the entire word of God in our hands, these signs no longer are operational, and so we should not expect them. That's one group of Christians, folks who love the Lord, okay? There's a second group of folks who, who love the Lord also, and they believe that the signs continue today just as they did then, so we should expect to see them frequently. There's a second group of Christians who also love the Lord. The third group, Signs continue today, but perhaps not in the same frequency as in this period. God reserves the right to to bring signs in a greater frequency when needed to confirm the truth. For example, you read the Old Testament. Miracles are not scattered equally throughout the whole Old Testament. You see them clustered in large groups at different times like the Exodus through Moses to lead his people out of Egypt at the time of Elijah and Elisha, when Israel needed called back again at the time of Jesus' ministry to confirm the truth of what he spoke in in the lives of the apostles as we read the book of Acts. So this group believes they occurred in greater frequency at those period, though they still do occur today, perhaps in less frequency. Uh, If you're curious, I'm not pushing this on you. If you say, hey, what's Scott think? What what does Pastor Scott believe? I'll just tell you, I lean towards number three. But I love all three groups of Christians, okay? I love all three groups of Christians. Where I really want to focus, wherever you fall in there, is five things we should agree on. Five things we should agree on and can agree on. Number one, we should thank God that he confirmed his word with signs and wonders. Thank you, Lord. We can celebrate every time we read them in here. Look at the power of our God. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He confirmed it with signs. Now, I think about signs. Let's say you're the dad of a family and you're driving your crew to Disneyland and, and you're on the highway and you see a sign that says Disneyland 100 miles and you slam on the brakes and you get out, you pull off the side of the road and you say, Let's get out, kids. Yay! Yay! What what is your family going to say? Your your wife probably first. She knows. Uh, Honey, this is just a sign. This is pointing us where we're going. We got 100 more miles to get to Disneyland. Then let's celebrate. Why do I share that? Listen, when God does a sign, We always need to ask, what does the sign point to? And biblically speaking, signs always point to the reality of who Jesus is and that salvation is found in none other than him. Don't stop at the sign. Move on to the one it points to. Thank God he confirmed his word with signs and wonders. Second, we should not test God. We should not test God. Think of Jesus' own temptation. Matthew 4, verse 5, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And he goes on to quote a psalm to Jesus. What does Jesus say to him in verse 7? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So everybody can breathe easy. We have no crates of... Arizona diamondback rattlesnakes out in the lobby to bring in here to pass around. Okay. Candy Sandy out there did not prepare any vials of arsenic for us to distribute in the room. When that happened with Paul, he was not playing games with God. He was getting wood for a fire on mission for God. We should not test God. It's the second thing we can all agree on. The third thing, we are not alone in our ministry. Believers live in the power of the risen Lord and the Holy Spirit within. Mark 16, 20, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. You think of our memory verse for the book of Mark, Mark 10:45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And boy, did he serve and work mightily in his earthly ministry. But the idea I'm getting at here is he continues to serve in and through you and I, his body. We're not alone in our ministry. Matthew 28:20, 20, in his account of the Great Commission, he said, Behold, I am with you. Always to the end of the age. John 16, 7. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. His disciples are wrestling with this idea of Jesus going away. Why is it to their advantage? He says, if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God the Holy Spirit lives within every believer in Jesus Christ. I love what Paul talks about as he talks about his ministry to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He wants to present mature believers to Christ. But does he do that in his own power? No. Listen to the next verse, 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What if we believe that as we're out on the ministries he's given you and I? That God works all his energy that he powerfully works within you, within me. That lead to a greater walk of faith as we fulfill his calling on our lives. We're not alone. Fourth of five here. Fourth, we can live unenslaved by fear. Unenslaved by fear. Think of what Paul wrote to young Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why? Because when it comes to death, we're not going anywhere until God says it's time. You look at what happened with the snake with Paul. That was just one example. There was an ambush by the Jewish people to take his life that was overcome because his nephew overheard a conversation. Okay, there was a, a horrible shipwreck where Paul nor any other people on the ship died. Why? Why? Why did he survive all that? Acts 23, 11, as as Paul stood in the barracks, as the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God wanted Paul to get to Rome, so Paul will get to Rome. Come what? May. We're not going anywhere until God says it's time. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every one of your days. It was not until Paul had testified at Rome that his time came for execution in God's sovereignty. Did you know that this fearlessness as a believer is a key part of our witness to a watching world. Did you know that? When Paul writes to the church at Philippi, listen to what he says. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, listen to this, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. And with our heart for the gospel, and Paul's heart for the gospel, we, You can bet his hope in those moments is that they see that fearlessness and say, why? (laughs) Why do you have that peace? Then you have an open door. An open door to tell them about the Savior you trust in. The Savior that keeps you from being enslaved by fear. Just like everybody else in this world. We can live unenslaved by fear. Finally, number five. Even when physical death does come. Hope carries on. I mentioned Paul's time for execution did come after he had fulfilled God's purpose. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4 as he wrote from a prison cell, knowing the execution was coming. And you tell me, are these words of defeat or are these words of victory? 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up. Job, many believe, was the first book to be written. Way back in Job, he was longing for for this, trusting for this, in the middle of his suffering. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I can't get away from the fact that what Job was yearning for, Paul knew, and you and I know, comes in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So where do we go as we close this morning? Three questions. Let's go back to the rebuke. Are you feeling rebuke for unbelief? Maybe you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord at all. Confess that this morning. He's calling. Now is the day of salvation. Confess your need. that You need his death for your sin and your, his resurrection for your victory. Say so you're a believer who has not been living in faith. And what his word teaches, confess it. Repent of it this morning. Have you been neglecting the call? To proclaim the gospel, believer. I was about you receive the gracious reinstatement of God this morning and pick that torch back up again before you walk out here. He is gracious. He will not quit what he has begun in you. Finally, you pick it up. Let's go out and preach that gospel in the resurrection power of our ascended Lord. Mark ten forty-five. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does Mark sixteen twenty say? They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. He worked mightily then. He's still working mightily today. And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Acts chapter 1. Do you know Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke? And when Luke looks back on the Gospel of Luke, and he's writing in Acts chapter 1, he describes the Gospel of Luke as all that Jesus began to do and teach. What does that mean? He continues to work this side of his ascension through his body, the church, through you And I, from Acts 128 and on into today. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time in the gospel of Mark. And I pray that as we close in this book this morning, that we would not close the impact that you've had in our lives by your spirit through the truth within. That we would not look at the events of Mark as some historical account that has little or nothing to do with 2021 in our lives today. But that we would realize the same Lord who worked in and among the people in his flesh now works in and through his body by the spirit. Lord, help us to receive any rebuke in our lives if we've been operating in unbelief to lay it down. Please help us to receive the implanted word within us, to pay attention to it, to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We confess that's our mode sometimes. We hear and we move on to something else. Work in our lives, bring it Bring it to life. Thank you for your gracious reinstatement when we have fallen short. Thank you for your grace to call us, to use us. And we thank you that we do not minister alone. We minister in your power. Help us to operate in in faith, not fear. Help us to have our eyes set on things of heaven, not things of earth. Lord, to have that hope of resurrection, that trust. Please work mightily as we step out and live the message. I pray this morning, as we take our offering, that it be from hearts of worship and gratitude to our risen King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen.